order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Yes. Susan Ellen Jones. Yes. Thank you. Question one, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Susan Ellen Jones. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'd like to thank the Prime Minister for that. Now, following an extensive public consultation, the government's retail sector champion, Kevin Hawkins, described our current Sunday trading laws as a workable compromise that most people seem satisfied with most of the time. Does the Prime Minister agree with him? I I don't agree. I think that uh, there's a strong case for change, but I think it's a change that we should allow local authorities to decide, and that's why we'll be putting in front of the House, in the Citizen Devolution Bill, the opportunity for that to happen. But let me just give the Honourable Lady in the House two examples of where I don't think the current situation works. You've got these restrictions on opening hours for many stores. Someone shouted, what about families? Many stores that families would like to shop in. And you have to go to these stores and you have to walk around for hours before you're actually allowed to buy anything. The second point I would make is that you can shop on Sunday. You can shop anywhere on Sunday. You can do it on the internet. And I think it's time to modernise our approach, to give families more choice and to help create jobs at the same time. Mr David Burrows. Um, Mr Speaker, I have here a question from Ian of Enfield. He said... He said... This is an appeal to help those who no longer have any dignity and self-respect, the down and outs. We call for a constructive attempt to tackle this growing urban problem. These words nearly 50 years ago of the late and great Conservative Member of Parliament for Enfield West, Ian MacLeod, resonate today. So can the Prime Minister's all-out assault on poverty tackle and prevent homelessness? grateful to my honourable friend and Ian MacLeod was indeed a great statesman and a great politician and someone who believed like I do that we should be as active in social reform as we are in economic reform now when it comes to tackling homelessness we do have the second night out initiative which is working particularly in London to find a home for people but frankly we have to do more particularly as he has said with the troubled families who need an intervention to help them often with mental health issues and make sure they get all the help that they need to deal with the problems they have to make sure they not only have a roof over their head but a job and a livelihood too. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I know the Prime Minister will absolutely welcome my first few questions because we're returning to his favourite subject of tax credits. Yesterday, one of his backbenchers said, and I quote, too many people would be adversely affected by the tax credit cuts. Something must give. For those of us proud enough to call ourselves compassionate Conservatives, it must not be on the backs of the working families we purport to serve. Where was she wrong? The tax credit changes are part of a package, and a package that includes a higher national living wage and tax reductions. And I think that is the right approach for our country. Let's make work pay, let's allow people to earn more, let's cut their taxes, and let's make welfare affordable. And I'm delighted. And I'm delighted that once again this measure passed the House of Commons last night in a big majority. 
Well, if the Prime Minister is keen on tax credits helping people into work, I've got a question for him from Lizette, who, quote, I quote, says a lot of people are setting up their own businesses as self-employed, especially in rural areas where job vacancies are limited and pay is often low. Tax credits help them until their business becomes established. So cutting tax credits damages her life opportunities and the life opportunities of anyone she might employ. Does he not see the value of giving support to people trying to improve their lives rather than cutting their ability to survive properly? Of course we want to help the self-employed on low incomes, and that is why the people on the lowest incomes will continue to receive the child tax credit at £2,730. But there are other things we're doing to help the self-employed. We're cutting income tax. That helps the self-employed. We're introducing the employment allowance to cut the national insurance budget for the self-employed. That helps. But above all, what we're doing is creating an economy with two million more people in work, an economy that is growing, wages that are rising, and inflation that is at zero. And all these questions on tax credits, in a way, come back to the same point, which is how you build a strong and secure economy. And you don't do it on the back of a massive deficit and an ever-increasing debt, which is what Labour left us with. This is all very strange because the Prime Minister seems to have changed his mind on this subject in rather a large way. John emailed me to say the Prime Minister solemnly declared on national television shortly before the last yes, solemnly, and I'm solemn as well, shortly before the last general election that tax credits would not be affected. Is there any reason why this change has come about, or any reason why we should believe the Prime Minister on any assurances he gives in relation to tax credits? What we said before the election is that we would reduce welfare by £12 billion as part of getting the deficit down, part of getting the economy growing, and part of creating two million jobs. That is what happened at the election, and we are keeping our promises by delivering that stronger economy. He talks about something strange happening. Something quite strange did happen last night. We had a vote on tax credits, and the deputy leader of the Labour Party didn't turn up. Can he, can he explain that strange outing? Corbyn! Mr Speaker, if the Prime Minister cannot answer now on tax credits and the devastation that is doing... Thank you. And the, dev- and the devastation that the cuts are do- taking on many people's lives, can I ask him to deal with another subject? That is the steel industry. Does he appreciate the devastating effects of the government's non-intervention in the steel industry are having on so many people? I've got a question from a maintenance fitter at the Tata Steelworks in Scunthorpe. He's helping to produce steel for Network Rail and many companies that were exporting it. He wants to know what the Prime Minister is going to do to support the steel industry and its workers who are now facing redundancy. Is it not time to walk the walk rather than talk the talk about an industrial strategy? We do want to help our steel industry, and we recognise. Well, I, I will set out exactly 
how we will set up, how we will help the seed industry. It is in a very difficult situation. World prices have collapsed by more than half. The surplus capacity in the world is more than 50 times the UK output. But our plan is to take action in four vital areas in procurement, in energy costs, in unfair competition and dumping, and in tax and government support. Now, honourable members opposite are saying, What have you done so far? Well, let me take one example. On procurement, we changed the procurement rules so it was easier to source UK steel, and that is why. Crossrail being completed, 26 miles of tunnels, the biggest construction project anywhere in Europe, is using almost exclusively British steel. That didn't happen under the last Labour government. It does happen now. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Isn't the real problem the government doesn't actually have an industrial strategy to, to protect the most important industries we have in this country? If they had, they wouldn't have had to, had to have been dragged kicking and screaming to this House um, five, three times in the last eight days. Thousands of jobs have already gone at risk in Redcar, Scunthorpe, Rotherham, Motherwell, Combeslang, Wrexham and across the West Midlands. Isn't it time for concrete action today so that there is government intervention, there is support for our industry, and we do have a viable steel industry for the long term, which this country desperately needs to have? We do want a strong and viable steel industry, and that means taking action across all of the areas that I mentioned. Let me mention another one, energy costs. We've already put £50 million into cutting energy costs, and our plans will mean hundreds of millions of pounds extra to cut energy costs. Now, honourable members opposite... Or, order, yes. or, order. I apologise for having to interrupt the Prime Minister. Mr Blenkinsop, a statesman-like demeanour is what I would hope for from someone who served with distinction in the opposition whip's office. Calm yourself or take a sedative. Prime Minister. So, on energy, we will have hundreds of millions more pounds saving. But I have to say to the Leader of the Opposition, last week in the House of Lords, the Labour Party voted to add to energy bills by opposing the measures we're taking on wind power. So, yes, we do have a strategy. We do have a plan. We should be working across party to deliver that plan. I met with the Member of Parliament for Scunthorpe and the neighbouring MPs back in November last year to make sure we could take all of the action necessary, and across each of these areas, that's exactly what we'll do. Jeremy Corbyn. Well, he met the members 11 months ago to discuss the issue, and he's yet to go to the European Union to discuss how British government could intervene to protect our industry. The final question I want to put to the Prime Minister comes from Louis, and this is deeply embarrassing to all of us in this House and indeed to this country as a whole. This country, the United Kingdom, is currently being investigated by the United Nations Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities because of allegations of grave and systematic violations of disabled people's rights. This is very sad news indeed, but even more sad is the news that we need to be investigated because of some violations that have occurred. Will the Prime Minister commit now to cooperate fully with the inquiry and publish in full the Government's response to this inquiry? so that we can ensure people with disabilities are treated properly, legally, and given full respect and opportunities within our society. 
first of all, let me just take up the honourable gentleman on the point he made about intervention in Europe. We have been doing this for months, making sure that we have proper action against dumping in the European Union, that we have taken the cases to the European Commission and will continue to do so. Now, on the issue of helping disabled people in our country. We've seen tens of thousands of more disabled people get into work under this government. Because of legislation passed by a previous Conservative government, we have some of the strongest equality legislation when it comes to disability anywhere in the world. Of course I will look at any United Nations investigation, but sometimes when you look at these investigations, uh, you find they are not necessarily all that they are originally cracked up to be. There are many disabled people in our world who don't have any of the rights or any of the support that they get here in Britain. And I think we should be proud of what we do as we cooperate with this report. Andrea Jenkins! Andrea Jenkins! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Brentliff School in my constituency was a struggling school who recently achieved their second best results in the school's history. The school reopened this September as part of the highly successful Gorse Academies Trust and continues to grow from strength to strength. What is my right honourable friend doing to ensure that all pupils have access to a great education and that no school is left behind? Well, I thank my honourable friend for that question. We're always happy to hear uh, positive news from Orly and Outwood. It wasn't always that, uh, that way. But I think she makes an important point, which is that in school after school in our country, often in some quite challenging neighbourhoods, we're seeing inspirational head teachers using the new tools that we have given them and driving up standards and measuring, I think, the percentage of those children getting five good uh, GCSEs is a key way to measure progress. And I've been to schools myself where I've seen a 10, 20, sometimes even 30 point improvement and often schools in inner city areas now doing better than many schools in rather more well-heeled suburban areas and that shows with the right teaching and the right leadership you can have real social opportunity right through our country. Thank you, Robertson. Thank you very much uh, Mr Speaker. Information has recently uh, been released that a coroner has found that a 60-year-old disabled father of two from North London, Mr Michael Sullivan, committed suicide following his work capability assessment, the coroner warned there is a risk of further deaths. The Department of Work and Pensions has reportedly undertaken 60 investigations into suicides that occurred after benefits were withdrawn or reduced, but has so far refused to publish what it has learnt. Will the Prime Minister publish these findings? Well, I am aware of the case the Honourable Member raises, although I'm sure he'll understand it wouldn't be appropriate for me to discuss the specifics of these cases. Look, suicide is always a tragic and complex issue. We should take these matters incredibly seriously. I'll look very carefully at the question, the specific question he asks about, about publication. But we have changed the work capability assessment to lead to significant improvements following a number of independent reviews to make sure that people get the support that they need. And I think that's vitally important. Robertson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Under the Prime Minister's plans uh, to cut tax credits, a couple with two children living in a council house who both earn just above the minimum wage stand to lose more than £2,000. That's the equivalent of their basic rate of income tax rising a staggering 
percent. Does the Prime Minister have the faintest idea about the human cost of his plans? The point I would make to the Honourable General is this, is that, first of all, if the couple live in a council house, then they're actually seeing a cut in their social rent because of the plans set out in the budget. If that couple have children, they'll have support in terms of childcare. If that couple are working for a small business, they'll have the opportunity of the enhanced employment allowance. If that couple are earning just above the minimum wage, if they're earning, for instance, £7 an hour and working a full-time working week, they will see a huge benefit as we increase the income tax allowance to £12,500. They'll almost be paying no income tax at all. What we're doing is introducing higher pay, lower taxes, and that is the way to better family finances and a stronger economy. Given the uh, increasing violence in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories, will my right honourable friend wish the United Nations Secretary General well on his visit to Jerusalem today? And does he agree with him uh, when he says that wars, checkpoints, harsh responses by the security forces and house demolitions cannot achieve the peace that Israel desires? I would agree that, of course, those things don't lead to peace, and what's required is a peace process to deliver that two-state solution. But I think we've all seen on our television screens appalling murders being carried out, knife stabbings of entirely innocent people uh, in Jerusalem and elsewhere in Israel, and that is completely unacceptable. So what we do need is to make sure that this peace process gets going on a genuine basis of a two-state solution. Joe Stevens. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Food bank use has risen by 1,665% since the Prime Minister took office in 2010. And in Cardiff Central, I meet people every week who rely on food banks to feed their families. Does the Prime Minister know how many more families will be relying on food banks as a result of his government's cuts to tax credits? And does he care? What what is happening in her constituency is the percentage, the number of people claiming unemployment benefit is down 20% in the last year. The youth claimant count has fallen almost 20% in the last year. And the long-term, long-term youth unemployment has fallen in the last year by 38%. That is what is happening. Of course, I don't want anyone in our country to have to rely on food banks. But the right answer is a growing economy, creating jobs, higher wages, the national living wage, and cutting taxes. That's what we're delivering, and that's how to help Britain's families. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the key to getting higher wages and improving our export drive is actually tackling the productivity gap that exists between ourselves and our European partners? And does he think that actually providing more skills for our manufacturing and engineering sectors is essential to that and will help us deliver that mission? My honourable friend is absolutely right. We have an excellent record in Britain in recent years on employment with record numbers in work. We now need to see the productivity improvements that will make sure we see real and sustained increases in living standards. And part of that is increasing the skills of our population. And that's why the school reform that the honourable member for Morley and I would refer to is so important. And also the three million apprentices that we target for this parliament is absolutely vital. Mr. Speaker, 
Speaker, I represent a constituency of hard-working, decent people, and yet in the forgotten communities of Milton, Postle Park, Springburn, Germiston, Garngad, Royston, Blackhill, Rukesi and Haghill, child poverty lies at an astonishing 38.1%. I was going to ask if the Prime Minister was at all touched by the waves of compassion coming even from his own backbenches yesterday in the tax credit debate, but I think we've got the answer to that. So I will simply ask if he can offer a personal guarantee that no child in my constituency will be worse off a year from now. Yeah. The point I make to the Honourable Lady is that those poverty figures are after 20 years of the great tax credit experiment. And what we saw was an increase in the cost of tax credits and an increase and an increase in in-work poverty. We say it is time for a new approach. Higher pay, more jobs, lower taxes. And if we look at her constituency, in the last year, the claimant count has come down by 10%. If you compare it to the 2010 election, the number of people claiming unemployment benefit in her constituency is down 43%. I say let's give people the chance of a job, of a salary, of a decent wage and lower taxes. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given Russia's military expansion and given North Korea's development of a submarine-launched ballistic missile system that can strike the West, would the Prime Minister agree with me that this is no time to campaign for nuclear disarmament? I think my honourable friend is absolutely right. Uh, I think it is right to maintain our independent nuclear deterrent, and anyone who has any doubts of it only has to look at the dangers and uncertainty in our world. And frankly, I think it is very disappointing for this country that for so long we had a consensus across party that the nuclear deterrent was right for Britain, and now we have a leader of the opposition who is campaigning with CND. Frankly, it's today that we're celebrating that great film, Back to the Future, and I'm not surprised that many people sitting behind him say he should get in his DeLorean and go back to 1985 and stay there. I'm very grateful, Mr Speaker. Um, Mr Speaker, this morning, this morning I've been contacted by John, who was a junior doctor in Newcastle, and Alex, who's a junior doctor in my constituency of Gateshead. And they have asked if I can ask the Prime Minister how much longer is he going to continue supporting the Secretary of State for Health, Jeremy Hunt, when virtually the entire health service have no confidence in him? Right. Well, I support the Secretary of State because I think he's doing the right thing in increasing investment into our health service by £10 billion across this Parliament. And let me speak very directly to the junior doctors who he quite rightly represents. The plans that we have are not for increasing junior doctor hours, they are not for cutting junior doctor pay, they're not even for making savings in the overall amount that junior doctors receive. It's about making sure the health service works better for doctors, but above all, for patients. It's part of delivering the seven-day NHS that I think should be the objective of every Member of Parliament and everyone in our country. May I tell the Prime Minister that on Sunday I met parents from the Gidea Park Primary School in my constituency regarding the huge increase in the birth rate and the need to expand schools in outer London. There is a crisis taking place at the moment. Will the government ensure that there is adequate resources for outer London boroughs like Havering 
And will he be prepared to meet a delegation of parents and members of the local council to discuss how we can resolve this very serious issue? Well, I think my honourable friend raised an important point. Look, we spent five billion pounds on new school places in the last parliament. We're going to spend seven billion pounds in the new in the new parliament on new school places. I'll look very carefully to see uh, what is happening in terms of outer London. But there's no doubt there are pressures in our system. Uh, and he makes a good point, which is our birth rate is going up and is is replacing our population, whereas the birth rate in a country like Germany is not. And so we don't need the wide-scale uh, immigration that we've been having, and we need to make sure those numbers are properly under control. Can the PM tell the House what plans are in place to ensure the interests of all devolved nations are taken into account in his forthcoming letter to the European President, Donald Tusk, mm. on EU reforms? And with this in mind, what plans are in place to ensure the devolved nations are represented in renegotiation discussions before the EU summit in December? Well, my right honourable friend, the Foreign Secretary, has met recently with the First Minister of Scotland to discuss uh, the issue of Europe. But what I would say to the honourable gentleman is, first of all, Scotland voted to stay in the United Kingdom. And the Edinburgh Agreement said that we should respect the decision the Scottish people made. And we had a United Kingdom general election for a United Kingdom referendum. But let me just say, on this day of all days, I was rather hoping he might raise the fact that because of the Chinese state visit today, Alexandra Dennis, the busmaker in his constituency, is signing a £2 billion deal that is going to provide thousands of jobs. the British Army Training Unit in Suffield in Canada and I met many of order, order, order. Scottish National Party members must calm themselves. The Honourable Lady is going to ask what I think might be her first Prime Minister's question. That question will be heard in full. Suella Fernandez. Thank you Mr Speaker. I recently visited the British Army Training Unit in Suffield in Canada and met many of our brave men and women undergoing advanced combat training, including my constituent, Major Ian Wallace of the Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. Many of them support this this government's commitment to spending the NATO target of 2% of our GDP on protecting Britain's interests. Will my right honourable friend please explain how that commitment will go towards investment in technology and equipment to enable people like Major Ian Wallace to do his job properly? Well, first, first of all, let me thank Major Ian Wallace for the work that he does. And crucially, the 2% will make sure that all those who join our splendid armed forces in the coming years will know that they will have world-beating equipment and technology at their fingertips. I think that's a really important part of making sure we build strong morale in Britain's excellent armed forces. Patricia Gibson. Here, here. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The operators of Hunterston Coal Terminal, Peel Ports Group, in my constituency of North Ayrshire and Arran, has announced significant redundancies. How will the Prime Minister work with the Peel Ports Group to explore alternative uses for the terminal, which is suitable for the imports and exports of a wide range of bulk solids and liquid products and offshore decommissioning? Well, the Honourable Lady is absolutely right to raise this. Peel Ports is a company that we work very closely with in government because of the uh, enormous amount of key uh, infrastructure and land that they own. I will look carefully with the Secretary of State and with the devolved authorities to see if there's more we can do in this instance. 
Smog. Yeah. Mr. Speaker. Um, does my right honourable friend share my concern that if the other place were to vote against working tax credits, this would be a serious challenge to the privilege of this House? A privilege a privilege codified as long ago as 1678. And does he further share my concern that this would then entitle him to review the decisions of Gray and Asquith in relation to creating more peers to ensure the government can get its financial business through? I, I think my honourable friend makes an important point. His, his knowledge of history is clearly better than mine. I thought the key date was the 1911 Parliament Act. But clearly, under that Act, it's supposed to be that issues of finance are decided in this House. Now, this House has now, now decided twice in favour of this measure, once when voting on the statutory instrument, again last night in a, in a vote put forward by the Opposition. And I think the House of Lords should listen to that very carefully and recognise that it's for this House to make financial decisions, it's for the other House to, 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 to revise other legislation. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent, Esther Sedorn, is a working mother of one, and she's worried. She earns above the so-called national living wage, but is set to lose around £1,700 per year if the government's changes to tax credits go ahead. What has the Prime Minister got to say to Esther? Well, what I would say to Esther is that we want to help by making sure that we cut her taxes so that her first £11,000 is entirely tax-free. That comes into effect next April. If Esther has children, we want to help with the childcare, not just for the two-, three-, and four-year-olds, but also with tax relief on childcare in future years. That if Esther is running a small business, we're helping through the employment allowance. So in all those ways, but I would say to Esther and to everybody else, this is a package. We want to see higher pay, lower taxes and reformed welfare. And the biggest damage to Esther and to all those in that situation, the biggest damage will be to return to Labour's high taxing, high spending, high borrowing, wrecking our economy. James Morris. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, extremism is one of the biggest social problems that we currently face in Britain. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that we need to redouble our efforts through the government's counter-extremism strategy to redouble our efforts to address this scourge of extremism in Britain? Uh, well, I think my honourable friend is absolutely right, and that is why we passed the prevent duty and put that duty on every public body in our country, on schools and colleges and universities. And the Home Secretary and I were in a school in Luton this week listening to teachers who said that's actually made a real difference and referrals into uh, the channel programme are happening far more quickly because of the changes that we've made. Look, this is going to be the struggle of our generation, fighting extremism and recognising that we have to attack it before it becomes violent extremism. We have to undermine the awful narrative of victimhood and grievance which so many are using, which eventually leads to violence. Anna Turley. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On the 16th of September, the Prime Minister told this House that he would do everything he could to keep steelmaking on Teesside. He failed. 
And now we learn that £30 million of the support package that the Government promised for retraining and economic regeneration is not only going towards the statutory redundancies of those who lost their jobs, but I also have an email here from the Northern Powerhouse Minister to a constituent in Stockton South that says it's also going to be used to pay for the final salaries of those who lost their jobs in the last oh, month. Yeah. Yeah. This is an insult. Yeah. I'd like to ask the Prime Minister how much more injustice does he think the people of Teesside can endure? Yeah. We will do everything we can to help, including the financial package that she's set out, making sure that we help people with retraining and with new opportunities, making sure that we help bring new industries to the area. But let me tell the Honourable Lady what we can't do. We can't, in this House, set the world price of steel. We can't overcome the fact that the SSI plant had lost £600 million in this Parliament. Those are the facts, and those are the facts that members opposite, frankly, have got to engage with. Mr John Barron! In answer to my question yesterday regarding our EU renegotiations, the Foreign Secretary confirmed that there was little or no prospect of this Parliament alone being able to say no to any unwanted EU directive, tax or regulation. Can I ask the Prime Minister to try and put that right? What we have said is that we want to see a system of red cards on new EU uh, regulations, and that is for national parliaments to work together to deliver that. But that is only one of the things that we want to change in our relationship with Europe. For instance, getting Britain out of ever closer union is not simply a symbol. It will be taken into account in all future jurisprudence when the European Court of Justice is considering whether to go ahead with a measure. Now, in the end, honourable members, including my honourable friend, will have to choose about whether to stay in Europe on an amended basis or whether to leave. But I'm determined to deliver the strongest possible renegotiation, addressing the concerns of the British people so that we have a proper choice. Mr Nick Dakin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Did, did the Prime Minister make clear to the Chinese President the urgent need to stop Chinese steel dumping? And if so, what was the response? And will he meet once again with North Lincolnshire MPs to, to see what further can be done to support steelmaking in Scunthorpe? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that the Honourable Member was at the summit on Friday. I met with him back in November. Always happy to meet again with him and neighbouring MPs. Uh, we will, I will, when this question time finishes, I'm going straight to number 10 for several hours of talks with the Chinese President, and there's every opportunity to talk about this issue. I began those discussions uh, last night, where I think the Chinese do recognise that they've got a huge overcapacity in their own steel industry, and that's an issue they have to address as well. But let me say again, I don't want to make... I don't want to make promises I can't keep. We can't set the steel price here in this House. We can't set the steel price here in this House. And we, ca- we can't go beyond the sorts of steps I've talked about on procurement, on energy, on industrial support. But let me just remind members opposite. They might like to remember something of their own record. Under Labour, steel production, halved. Under Labour, employment in steel, halved. Under, since I've been Prime Minister, steel production has gone up and steel employment has stayed at the same level. So before we get a self-righteous lecture from the party opposite, look at your own record. Mr. Phil, 
I suspect those cheers were for the Prime Minister rather than for me. Would the, um, would the Prime Minister agree that one of the reasons why uh, some steel plants have suffered difficulties is because wholesale electricity prices in this country are twice the level of Germany? And one of the reasons for that is that the former Labour Party leader, the member for Doncaster South, imposed a large number. Would he agree? Would he agree? that the green taxes imposed by the last government are significantly responsible. Order, order, we don't need to waste time with this. It's nothing to do with government policy. Mr Hal Williams, Mr Williams, Mr Williams. Thank you. Order, nothing to do with current government policy. Mr Hal Williams. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thousands of people who installed cavity wall insulation now have damped mouldy houses as the system fails and left in rainwater. Many were misled that this was a government scheme and now find that the industry guarantee difficult success and insufficient. Will the Prime Minister take a personal interest in this scandal to ensure that older and disabled people in particular are fully compensated and that further reputational damage to the government's energy conservation measures is averted? I'll look very carefully at that issue because actually it goes to a larger point, which is that the obligations we put on energy companies do lead to higher prices. And this goes directly to the point that my honourable friend was quite rightly trying to ask. And even last week, the Labour Party in the House of Lords was voting to put up energy prices. That impacts steel users. So they ought to start trying to do the same thing in the House of Lords as in the House of Commons. Order!